welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. I am this week's host, and I have some news for you all. I'm going to read a statement that I put out on the podcast, social media, and my own personal social media about a week ago. Um, <clears throat> it will explain what is going to happen with the podcast. This week will be the final episode of LTPF with me hosting. This was not an easy decision. However, as we have learned through the many episodes, sometimes we have to take a leap or pivot in order to move our careers forward. This is one of those moments for me. An opportunity to grow and challenge myself as an attorney in this industry with an amazing group of people was presented, and I had to jump on it. I have loved every second of this project. Almost exactly two years ago, I was in a car driving to the Daytona 500 with a friend when I came up with the name. Throughout these two years, I've learned so much and challenged myself to get outside of my comfort zone. The lessons I have learned by speaking with many of the amazing women in our industry are invaluable. And you, the listeners and followers, have been the best part. You've reached out to me and shared your own stories. I'm so grateful to all of you. My hope is that the podcast will live on without me. Those details will be figured out shortly-ish, I hope. So please stay subscribed in order to get access to the new LTPF, whatever that sounds like. I will be listening for sure. I want to extend a special thank you to Jerry and Jason at Radio Influence. Without you guys, I would never have gotten this podcast out into the world. You taught me so much while always being patient and kind. Your editing and sound engineering skills made the mess I sent you weekly sound great. Thank you. And finally, to all the women in sport, please continue to support each other and pull up young women looking to break in. By shining a light on the achievements of each other, we can help the next generation of young women see what they can be. And so with that, I have our final interview with Cheryl Reeve. Cheryl Reeve is the head coach and general manager for the Minnesota Lynx of the WNBA. She has coached the Lynx to uh, four league championships, I believe. Um, she has the highest winning percentage in WNBA history and has won the most games of any female coach and won the most postseason games of any coach. She has been named WNBA Coach of the Year numerous times. Um, she has a comp sci degree and uh, grew up in New Jersey. And she's a very outspoken advocate uh, for um, women's rights, for um, racial equality, for her athletes. She is just a great role model. And um, I felt so honored to be able to have this conversation with her. I hope you enjoy this episode and this interview with Cheryl Reeve. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Bobby Sue. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, and, you know, for the listeners, you and I have been working to schedule this for a while. And um, it just so happens that you're going to be my last interview. Wow. It's not anything that I did, is it? Well, no, not yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, 
you know, you know this and my listeners by now will know this because I'll have done an intro, but with the new career adventure I'm about to take on, I had to, you know, step away from the podcast and wanted to go out with a, with a good one. So we got you no pressure. Uh, right. No pressure. Well, I, I hope that this is just a, a hiatus and you'll, you'll come back on when you, when you, uh, podcast like this. Uh, we'll see. I guess we'll see. TBD. <laughs> um, so let's start where we always do, which is how did you fall in love with sports? Gosh, I remember, um, you know, being four and, and just, I think it was, um, I had a parent, my, my dad who was, was interested in sports. Uh, he was in the military and I think he participated in, in all the military teams and, and a variety of sports, but at that age, softball and t-ball, you know, it was, was really big. Um, grew up in Nebraska. Uh, I had two brothers, one older, one younger. And it just seemed kind of the way that we, the way that we, um, we did things daily was, was centered around sports. And I remember, you know, going to games and, you know, the Omaha Royals and, um, you know, just watching football on, on the weekends and, um, so sports was always a part of, of our family. So I remember that from a very, very young age. And, you know, I was just, um, I was, I was that girl that, um, just really took to it and, and, you know, have loved it ever since. Uh, I don't play anymore, but, but I remember, you know, playing like it was yesterday, you know, being, being four, being in our backyard. And, um, when I was nine or 10, I was uh, pitching on a, on a baseball team, boys baseball team. And, <laughs> You know, um, so softball and, and baseball was my first sort of love and, and that was probably the thing I was more talented in. Basketball didn't come for me until probably about seventh grade. And, and so that's, that's much older. And when I got to high school, did all the sports and, and, and then the high school coach kind of indicated that she thought I might have a better chance at a scholarship in basketball. And she sure was right. Uh, you know, there was more money. Uh, thank goodness we listened. You know, we don't always listen to, to people when they tell us those things. And, right. Uh, and it's worked out pretty good, though. So you you say you grew up you grew up in Nebraska. How did you end up in New Jersey for high school? Well, uh, the family, my, my mom's family and my dad's family were both from uh, South Jersey, where, where we ended up, uh, you know, being for high school. But dad was in the military, so we were in the Air Force. And I was actually born at Offutt Air Force Base back in 1966, Bobby Sue, a couple years ago. And uh, yeah, we, we moved from there to Georgia, and then Dad finally retired, um, and, and we moved back to to South Jersey, where where both of their families were, back to where all the aunts and uncles and cousins and you know grandparents. So it was uh, essentially home. It's interesting. I never think I've heard of anyone moving back to New Jersey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's my Massachusetts well, snobbery in there. Territory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a snob. Um, <laughs> I mean, you did, you know, pretty well in uh, in college and um, throughout your your athletic career there, huh? Yeah, I was very fortunate, you know, as, as you move through life. Now, I didn't know this at the time, you know, when you're when you're 18 and you're about to go off to college. I, I was so shy and so. Wait, uh, what? You know, it's crazy. You know, it's crazy <laughs> how life changes, right? Uh, I was I was I probably consider myself more of an introvert. I didn't uh, like going out with friends in high school for me was going to to go have friendlies ice cream. Uh, maybe on a big night, we go to a movie. You know, that that's who I was. And 
Uh, so can you imagine me, you know, I was, you know, at that time, Washington Township was a, was a much more of a smaller town, you know, really probably more rural uh, than what it is today. Today, it's like an extension of, of Philadelphia. Um, gosh, but at that time, I, you know, going off to visit a college, um, you know, I was that young kid that couldn't sleep over other people's houses. It would come time to go to bed and I'd have to call my mom and go home. Oh <laughs> I my just God. couldn't do it. My sister so, was that way. Yeah, I don't know. Where, I don't know. <laughs> now, I, like I look back and I don't understand, you know, why I was that way, you know, because I don't, I don't feel that way now and I hope my son's not that way. But, um, you know, it was uh, going off to, to college to go visit the campus just for a weekend. Oh, I was just, I was a wreck about it. And, you know, had a nice visit and all that. Uh, I only took one visit and decided to go there. It was 45 minutes from home and, and uh, just got really, really lucky. The, um, the coach that recruited me uh, actually wasn't recruiting me. He was recruiting my high school teammate. He came to town, <laughs> uh, came town to watch her play. She was a you know, big-time scorer. I wasn't a scorer. I was more of a point guard and distributor and, frankly, didn't love to shoot. Um, again, times change. I, I, that's what I like to do now. <laughs> I don't like to do the other <laughs> things I used to do. Um, but anyway, this, this coach came to to scout my teammate and, and saw me and said, okay, you know, we need a backup point guard. So we'll bring you in. And, and that coach actually, by the time I got there, um, had, uh, had, had uh, lost his job. You know, they weren't that good, I guess. And, and they made that change. And, and a gentleman by the name of Speedy Morris, uh, who was a, a legend in Philadelphia boys basketball became the, the women's coach and just, uh, the, the program had all kinds of success while he was there and his, assistant coach that took over because what I know now that I didn't know then was when Speedy Morris was named our coach, it was really a setup for him to, to take the men's job two years later when they fired uh, Lefty Irvin. So uh, things that you know more as an adult, they didn't know, you know <laughs> yeah. as a student. So, uh, but it worked out great. It worked out great. Our, our, our teams were really good. We went from being not, you know, you know, below 500 to, you know, averaging, you know, more than 20 wins a season. And, you know, just the time of my life, you know, as they say, in college, um, I, I did not party. <laughs> I was at, I went home every weekend that we could, and uh, but I but I just loved my experience and uh, thankful for the coaches that I had. And then, you know, the, um, one of the coaches I had offered me uh, the chance to to go into coaching. So it was just a tremendous, you know, six years that I spent at LaSalle. How um, aside from, and I'm going to say aside from, but it's kind of like you know, and how was the play right? Like basketball obviously was a huge motivator in where you chose to go to school. Was there anything else? Like, what were you thinking you wanted to be um, going into college? Uh, would you believe it if I told you that I, I just wanted to play basketball? And, and when they came on the home visit, you know, the, when, the, when the coaches come to your house and they, they, you know, lay out for you all that the university has to offer besides basketball, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, different things academically and I only wanted to talk basketball, and I remember when when the coach, you know, said he wanted to talk about academics and other stuff. I got up and went in the kitchen and did other things, and let my dad <laughs> and let my dad handle the academic part. So essentially, my dad chose my major, uh, and what my dad looked at at that time was, you know, computer science was getting big, um, and it was, you know, we were still on mainframes at that time, um, but it was the next occupation that. Uh, was going to be, you know, on the rise and they would need more programmers and that sort of thing. So he, you know, was forward thinking in that way. Uh, my oldest brother uh, had a, you know, had a thing for computer science and I was good in math and I thought, yeah, okay, cool. You know, that sounds good. I'll do that. So I was a computer science major and, 
you know, got a degree in that. And I, so a dual major in computer science and management information systems. And now I'm a coach. So I mean, that's <laughs> how does that amazing. Happen, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, it's so you're, you know, not lucky because you've put a lot of effort and work into it, obviously, but, um, you know, you, you kind of struck that right, you know, chord, I guess. And like, being able to go and continue to do basketball, right? Um, yeah. I and it was at a, what happened. It was also at a time though, like there wasn't. I mean, exactly was right. WBL around at that point? The WM, none of it, none of it, none of it, um, right? No, so you know that was in the mid eighties. Um, you know, again, we had a good team. We were ranked in the in the, in the top twenty, and um, but your only opportunity to play beyond. Uh, college was was to go overseas mm-hmm. um and i just i remember you know people kind of say you got to start you know contacting you know, maybe get an agent and i just said i don't want any parts of that i just wanted to um if I, that was my only choice was to go overseas and i would stop playing and i would i would get into coaching and um it was just for me it was my my junior year in college that that summer after my junior year where you know internships become big right because it's, it's the next step and so i did an internship in my major and, you know, I'd get on the city bus every day, you know, go to work, uh, could only have a break at this time. Lunch was this oh, time. I could leave at this time. And after, I don't know, however, however weeks we did that, uh, I say also did, it also did an internship in basketball. I worked at Kathy Rush basketball camps. Uh, now, they didn't call that an internship at that time, but it's essentially what it was for me, where I learned, you know, kind of this feeling of, uh, you know, instructing you know, some of the campers, you know, to do this or that. And then that reward of the players doing it. And so whether it was in a game situation or drills, and so that's where it really where I got turned on to the idea that this was kind of neat, you know, to collectively have a group and, and have a goal and, and how you were going to accomplish it. You know, this player does this, this player does that. And so between the two internships, and it was really obvious for me, you know, what direction that, that would make me happy. Now, it didn't make my dad very happy. Uh, he was, you know, he was very concerned. You know, yeah. he thought you could you could support yourself. You get this programming job. It was a big deal to go graduate, make forty thousand dollars. It was, you know, you'll be set for life. You know, you'll never have to count anybody else but yourself. And that's all. Those are all tremendous thoughts, right? It was exactly the right thinking. And I chose, you know, I chose. I, I got a master's, got an MBA in, in human resource management because I thought that might resemble coaching. <laughs> uh, but it was really okay. just to just to coach. And, yeah. And. Uh, um, my dad all the way up until, you know, he passed in 2008, uh, would ask me when I was going to get a real job. Uh, cause he just never, <laughs> never saw the coaching thing as oh, a real job. Oh my gosh. And like, <laughs> and like now, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately he didn't get to see, you know, the, um, he, he, he saw it all. He saw, yeah. you know, the, um, but for him it was this live six months, you know, in whatever city I was working in and then be home for six months. He just never really kind of saw it as. Uh, you know, a real, you know, real job. Well, and it's <laughs> so, a weird life, right? It is a weird life. It's a it very life. strange life to yeah. <laughs> to live a for as a coach. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like college even more so because there's so much time spent recruiting, right? Yeah. Um, it, but like, I don't know, just watching the, co- you know, the coaching carousel that I've watched at my organization over the period of time that I've been there. And just like, I don't, you know, I'm moving right now and I can't imagine doing this every, although now that I think about it, it'll be 
four years. So I'm basically right on a coaching carousel myself now that <laughs> I think right. about that's it. Right. And it's a lot. It is a lot, you know, and it's, it's, I think my dad's concern too, was it was hard to have meaningful relationships in his mind. Um, you know, sure. like, you, like what you're talking about, the, you know, sometimes the uncertainty or instability, uh, or even just the, you know, the, the challenges that go with, with being a coach and, you know, it's, it's difficult to please, you know, all the entities that you have to please. And, right. um, but, you know, I have to tell you that, you know, those of us that do it, I mean, there's just a tremendous uh, passion, you know, for the game and, and, um, you know, you have to have people that are around you that are, that get it, right. you know, they get you and get, you know, and then are willing to, you know, to make those sacrifices. So, Sure. Um, but like you said, it's it's not easy, but it's incredibly rewarding. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, I can, you know, I can imagine being single and being a coach and not potentially knowing where you're going to live in a year or two. Right? Yep. That would yep. put you in a in odd situation. Like, I don't know. I haven't really dated in the last year, and it's because I've kind of known that I'd probably be moving on. Right? It's just mm-hmm. it can be hard. Um, you ended up, you know, just like making your way up the ladder after LaSalle, you went over to GW um, and then to Indiana State. So at Indiana State, was that your first head coach role? It was. Yeah. So we, you know, after my two years at LaSalle, I, I went to GW for five years and we had a chance to take a program that was was, was subpar at the time and, and we got them you know, ranked in the top 20. We were as high as number six in the country. And so I was able to, to land the head coaching job off of that, that momentum. And, and, uh, I remember, you know, of course, you know, I was, I don't know, what was I, my first job, I was 22, maybe I was probably, you know, I'm 27, 28 interviewing for, for head coaching jobs because you want to strike while the iron's hot. Right. You know, we, we, we really built the thing. And, uh, I wasn't necessarily the one that sat there and said, I just want to be a head coach. And, um, didn't kind of appreciate the, you know, the journey of being an assistant coach and, uh, and kind of, you know, sometimes you think, you know, everything when you're an assistant coach, whereas, you know, obviously the head coaches look at the assistant coach going, boy, you know, way do you, <laughs> way do you understand this? And I wasn't, I wasn't terrible that way. Uh, but as I look back, you know, I did have that feeling of that it wasn't going to be that hard. Um, you know, that it, it, it just looks a lot easier from the seat that you sit in as an assistant coach. And then, uh, went to Indiana State, and you know, I think the difficulty there for me was not necessarily the coaching piece, and um, you know, just just kind of the the program part of it. it. Was more of I was considered a Yankee when I was out there, <laughs> so um, so so my edginess was automatically attributed to, well, you're from Jersey, you know, right. um, so. Um, and you know, it, it took a certain, uh, uh, type of, of athlete that, that was, that would connect with, you know, with the Yankee and me. So, <laughs> uh, right. but I, I always saw that as a positive and, and, uh, but we did great things in Indiana state. You know, we, we were in the NIT, uh, which was the first time of any postseason in like since the seventies. So it was, you know, it was one of those things that was, it was a hard job. Uh, it was difficult, you know, that some of the mid-major jobs, um, they, they can be really, really challenging from a recruiting standpoint and just trying to kind of, you know, really make that progress into, you know, competing nationally, it's, it's it can be a tough job. So, um, you know, from there I had a, a great opportunity Ann Donovan, the late, the late Ann Donovan, um, just got the job in Charlotte and, um, you know, in the WNBA and, and they were having their pre-draft camp, the WNBA in Chicago. 
and uh, Indiana State's only you know a few hours from there, and I figured I'd drive up there, and and Ann Donovan was gracious enough to 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 she said, hey, I have a I have a part time job. I don't have a full time. Uh, at that time, there was only one full time assistant, and she she said, you know, you can have it if you want it. You know, it's five thousand dollars. <laughs> Uh, and I would have taken it for nothing. I would have, I would have jumped into it. And so if you can imagine, I, I, I rang, I rang home. I, I, I called my parents and, um, got this job offer in the WNBA and I'm going to make $5,000. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was just, you know, shaking his head. Are you like, are you serious? You've got two degrees. And, um, but I just, you know, it's one of those things you just have a feeling you take a leap of faith. And yeah. I've always felt like it wasn't really about the money. It's about, you're going to prove, you know, that you're, uh, what your value is, and it's always going to work itself out. I've just always kind of had that mindset, and I thought I'm making five thousand this year, but I guarantee I'll make more than that next year, because the value, you know, hopefully, you know, if you do your job and you're good at it, you know, you, you'll get you'll get the reward. And I did each year, you know, better and better. And when I got the job uh, in Minnesota, I remember saying uh, to Roger Griffith, uh, the general manager, and then Glenn Taylor, the owner, either I'm good enough or I'm not. A one year contract is fine with me. Um, now they gave me a two year contract, but the second year was at their option. Right. <laughs> so course. it was essentially a one year, one year deal. Um, but it, I just had the mindset if you're, if you're good enough, you know, it works itself out. And I've been, I've been pretty lucky. Um, uh, couple questions about Indiana state, Indiana state. Yeah. Yep. The um, Sycamores. Right. So that was my first question. Could there be a worse, <laughs> m- like do they have a tree as a mascot? <laughs> like, what the uh, well, hell is that? Well, you know, obviously Stanford has a tree as a mascot, but we did not. Um, that was one of those things at that time. So what was that? Uh, so it was I was there in 95. and went there 95 to about 2000. I, at that time period, it was kind of like an identity they were trying to grow into is what is our mascot? Yeah. And I can't, I really honestly can't recall what the physical mascot was, but it was not a tree. Um, you like, know, it was not until I got the job sycamores. in Minnesota that I had a cool mascot. Well, yeah, you guys it, have So a really I was a LaSalle cool Explorer. I was uh, a George Washington Colonial. Uh, heck, we could even go back to my high school, Washington Township Minute Maids. Oh, hey, I <laughs> so, had a minute, we had Minute Men at UMass. So I, okay. I'm right there. <laughs> I, not that I played. So it wasn't but, a finally, now I'm a Lynx, and that's like, yeah, that's, that's fierce. Uh, and, yeah. You know, <laughs> also, their Lynx cubs or, or kittens are so cute. Aren't they? Yeah. Uh, they're really beautiful animals. They but, really but are. the cubs are really yeah. I mean they will tear your face off. <laughs> yes. Yes, they would. But yeah. I still want to be friends with them and cuddle with them. <laughs> That's right. Because I'm I've got some problems, clearly. Um <laughs> so okay. So that's exciting. You're a sycamore. Um <laughs> but you know That's where Larry Bird went to school. Yeah, whatever. So that was our sure. That was our that was our big uh, matter of fact. He used to he'd throw annual parties uh, in Terre Haute, Indiana. You should have become the um, Indiana State Birds or something. The bird, yeah, that would have been yeah to identify. That would have been, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I love how you kind of gloss over how well you did, and you're still ranked fifth in wins within. They call it Lady Sycamore. Um, history. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of move on and like uh, life. You don't look back. (laughs) I, are are you kidding? When I found out I was probably in law school and I found out that a young woman, uh, broke, I don't know, my indoor two mile record. 
um, in, from high school, I literally cried. I was so mad. Aww. Yeah. It's the only thing I was holding on to uh, yeah. from, from my um, days of being an athlete. Well, you're, are you still in the top five? That's impressive. I have no idea. Oh, so, so you've moved on. You've kind of let go of that part, huh? <laughs> Once I wasn't number one anymore, it didn't, it matter. didn't matter. That's right. Because yeah. who remembers yeah. two, three, four, or five? Yeah, but that's Except Wikipedia change. does with you. That's true. <laughs> so, it, oh, but, really? <laughs> yeah, because you are, um, you're special enough that you have a Wikipedia page. So, you know, it, that's listed there. I'm sure it's a family member somewhere that's, that's kind of <laughs> responsible for that. Is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how it works. It's official. Yay, baseball. We are now in spring training season. And, well... That means you should just follow your favorite team down to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. Arizona's Cactus League in Greater Phoenix boasts 15 teams and 10 stadiums, all within a 50-mile radius. I love spring training because it is so much fun with tons of accessibility to players and you get that true small ballpark feel. When you're not at one of the ballparks, you can wander around the city where there are amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including tons of craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Alehouse, and Goldwater Brewing Company. And when you're you know, just kind of hanging out. Don't forget that Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. You can go hiking and biking to hot air balloons and maybe even skydiving. And Arizona has some of the coolest kid-friendly adventures, including wildlife parks, science museums, and dude ranches. Can you imagine? So, Make sure you get to planning your spring training getaway. You still have time. Visit Arizona.com slash spring training. That's visit Arizona.com slash spring training to plan your spring training getaway, which you can do really quickly. What was the biggest challenge for you going from student athlete over to assistant coach, you know, and then up to head coach? Well, I, I think what I remember very, very vividly, um, the guy that I was an assistant coach for, my, my first job, was the guy I just played for, John Miller. Uh, he took over for Speedy, and John was exact opposite of Speedy. Speedy was, you know, very uh, emotional, demonstrative. John Miller was very uh, reserved and just a straight communicator, I think was a, a teacher, you know, by profession. And he he would frustrate me at times with how calm he would be, you know, because I, you know, I would kind of jump out and be like, you can't let them do that. It's got to be, you know, and I'd have, I'd have my way of the way <laughs> that I thought it should be. And things that you never forget. There are moments in your life that I can exactly, the moment that we were at half court, he was knelt down, I was kneeling down next to him, and I was frustrated about maybe a teammate, you know, either you know, whatever it was, uh, I just didn't agree with that. He essentially just ignored the, the situation. And, and he turned to me, and he, this is while practice was going. He said, Cheryl, he said, your circle of things that you accept is this small. And it was a small, he made a very small circle with his, with his fingers. And he said, and the more you do this, you're going to understand the circle's got to be. And he made, you know, he used his arms to make a bigger circle of what you'll accept and I didn't, of course, at the time when it was said, I don't, I didn't really understand it. I, I wanted him to, to see it my way. 
And then, you know, as you get, you know, the more you do that, then I always think about what he said. And I thought how true it was that, you know, it's not as simple as it, as it seems. You have to manage people. You have to, and you can't manage them all the same, you know, even though that you, you think that that's the way it should be. Once you're a coach, you realize every, every player uh, is different. Their personalities are different. Uh, you always have to be fair, but uh, so that was that was one thing. I just, um, you know, I was a fiery player. You know, I was a point guard that uh, would hold my teammates accountable. Um, there were people that would come to the game and wonder if I was having fun, you know, because I was kind of just always <laughs> kind of with a scowl, you know. Um, but so I assured them I was always having fun, you know, playing the game. Uh, and then just, you know, when you move to, to you know to the coaching part of it, you can't control as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a player, you can you can you know control the outcome you know, with your effort and your focus. As a coach, you're kind of left to you know at the mercy of of you know the preparation of the players. Um, and you know, I would say as an assistant coach, I didn't know this at the time how easy it is to be an assistant coach. Uh, it's it's a lot of work, um, you know, but the relationships you can have with the players are on a much different level than what a head coach can have. And again, I didn't know these things until I became a head coach. And, you know, it's also kind of I toggle back and forth between being a head coach of the Lynx and then also an assistant coach on the national team. Mm-hmm. And it's those moments I'm reminded, you know, of how easy it is to be an assistant coach because the head coach, you know, the worries that you have, the number of people that you have to sort of, you know, in some cases massage. Uh, it could be fans. It could be, you know, when you're in college, it's alumni. It's, you know, it's the president. It's the there's just so many, you know, and then managing 11 or 12 players on a team. Uh, as an assistant coach, it's simple. You you work out your players. You have the relationship. You never have to say anything negative to them. You're the one there that just kind of tries to pick them up because the head coach maybe challenged them. Uh, and it's just easy. You go to bed at night and you don't have any worries. And then you slide over one seat and it's very, very different. And um, I think the relationships uh, are important, but they're just different. You can't drill down uh, as much as, as you can when you're an assistant coach because you have to you have to see so many things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I like I said, I just I think assistant coaches, you know, they all should be uh, head coaches first. You know, it's one of those things. And then go back and be an assistant, because when you when you know exactly what the person you're working for is going through, you're a far better assistant coach. Uh, and I think that was definitely the case for me. Uh, after, you know, I was a head coach at the age of 28. I was not ready for that. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, 28 years old, you know, when I think about that, and, you know, I was lucky, you know, that I uh, got the opportunity. But, um, you know, now being a national team assistant coach, I always come back from doing that, looking at my assistants and saying, your job is easy. <laughs> what are you complaining about? <laughs> so, so I don't know if I've captured that, you know, from being a player to an assistant you know, to a head. You know, there's, it's all, all those you know, they're all rewarding in, in their own ways and, and they're challenging. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I would say that probably the easiest of the three is definitely being a player. Sure. I could, I can see that. I, um, you know, when you said that you were a fiery player, you're, I mean, you're a pretty fiery coach too. Um, you, you definitely have what I'll say are, and it, not nearly to the extent but I'm going to compare you anyway. Like I've, I've, I've seen some I'm bracing myself, some Calipari <laughs> moments out of you. Oh, Every, Calipari. Yeah. You know, he was one of my favorites uh, when he was at UMass. Yeah. I really, really. That's when I really started um, just loving, you know, his way. And 
I feel like I don't. I feel like I was up close and personal. And I'm not sure how I was I was in the Atlantic Ten at the same time. I was at GW, but I feel like I watched him in practices or I was up close in game situation. But I just really, really liked um, his way. You know, you, you players know that that he loved them. Yeah, I think that's really important because obviously the way that he challenged them. Uh, if they didn't have that, you know, as a backdrop, that would that would be that would be pretty tough to handle. But yeah, but he was one of my he was one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, he's he's much more mellow now than I think the days when he was at UMass. Well, it's funny. I um, I think I was I was telling you earlier today. I went. You know, my car had to get some oil changed and all that stuff. And I walk into the waiting room, and on the TV is Kentucky Tennessee, and uh. literally as Calipari's having one of his little freakouts. And, you know, just screaming at somebody. And I just started laughing, going, oh, it's March. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's like, right. You know. That's uh, a big game, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I saw it last, it wasn't doing great. But, um, but I, you know, I always think, like, how interesting that the different personalities are with coaches. It's the same in, you know, in every sport, right? Like, there are, there are certainly different personalities. And, one of the things about you that I've enjoyed uh, reading about and seeing from time to time, and even when you and I have spoken in the past, um, is your ability to be an advocate for your athletes and and almost a mentor so that they can be advocates for themselves. Yeah, that's uh, I appreciate you noticing that because that, that's actually you know more than the X's and O's. Uh, that's something that I, you know, am incredibly passionate about. And, and, you know, I think about the journey that we're on, you know, in our profession and how lucky I am to be in this position. Um, and I, I want them to always have the courage uh, to, to, you know, use their voices or stand up for, you know, whatever it is that they believe in. And um, I try to give them this, this place or this space that um, no matter what it is, you know, I always tell them, I want to know about you. I want to know what makes you tick. And, um, and, you know, just tell us, you know, whatever it is, it's important to you. And we'll, you know, we'll find a way to, to help you advocate, you know, for that. And so I, yeah, we want to teach them that we want to teach them that, you know, that they need to stand up and, um, you know, to, to create change, you know, how difficult that is and the courage that that might take. And, you know, for the things that we're passionate about, um, you know, we're women, we're people of color, you know, we're, we're marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. And, and so we really try to, um, you know, just empower them, you know, like you said. So I appreciate you noticing that. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for the, the women who play on your team, I think for young women who are, you know, going through even, you know, the beginnings of a basketball career, or any, you know, um, sport, really anything, you know, to have these strong women role models such as yourself is it's kind of new right and and i say kind of in like the you know span of like all of the united states and how long we've been around versus like you know like yeah maybe it's been about 10 20 years but that's still relatively new when you think about generations and um and just how fortunate and you know these these younger women are to have people like yourself like terry jackson at the players association like some of these really strong women in our industry to look up to 
and I wonder who was who did you look up to when you were trying to figure out your next steps? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I I uh, I think some of my uh, courage, if you will, uh, as I look back on it, probably comes from my mom. Not not so much that uh, that she was you know, an advocate or, or an activist in any way. It's more of, I think, more of a strong-minded, strong will, um, and not afraid to use, you know, our voice. And I just always, when I look back on it, I always say, where did it come from? Um, and who, you know, who around me, you know, sort of, you know, pulled this out of me? Because uh, I told you I was more of a, you know, I was more shy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just, I think you just kind of grow into a responsibility. And that's what I see. And, and, you know, you hit a certain point, and this is what happened to me. I hit a certain point where I was sick and tired of hearing the excuses as to why women can't have this or that when it came to, you know, sports is really where, uh, you know, was kind of the, the, the center of my world. Right. And the constant, um, you know, the inequities, you know, the, the way that whether it's, you know, media coverage, uh, resources, you just get to a point and, you know, the, the reasons for it is what I'm tired of. I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the no one's interested. Um, just the way that, you know, that we're treated as second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it spills over into, you realize it's not just sports. You know, it's women in business, women in, you know, just leadership roles, women in politics. Um, and so I just, you know, I, I think I started to speak out about it more. And uh, I had a few people in the WNBA who... Uh, were mentors to me, um, not so much to, um, you know, that they said, hey, you need to, to speak up more. I had one one person that said, you really need to use your voice more. You know, you're, you're in a role that, you know, people could benefit from from hearing, you know, more from you. And so um, it was one of those things where I said, really? <laughs> you know, you don't think of yourself in that way. And, and you know, and so it just kind of, again, it gives you, you know, I, I believe in mentors. And it gives you this confidence you know, to, to do more. And then I just, I've always thinking about our players and, and, you know, you want the best for them, you know, Terry Jackson's role, you know, at the WNBA at, you know, the players association that, um, you know, we, we just have very important work to do mm-hmm. and, you know, you have to be bold and you have to be courageous in order to enact change. Um, because really they just want us to go away. They just want right. us to stop talking about it and, 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 you know, we, we can't go away. Uh, you know, the, the fight is so worth fighting. And, you know, we just, you know, that, that's why I just kind of see, you know, it's, it's empowering, you know, to, to have people around you, you know, feel the same and, and be just as courageous as you. And, and that's kind of what's that's kind of fueled my fire, so to speak. I, you know, I think um, it's great that you're able to kind of take a look and be like, you know what? I think I got, I got some of this from my mom. You know, I think because a lot of times when you say mentor or something, you, people think you mean, you know, somebody who works above you or something. Right. Right. Um, and whether it's your mom or, um, the woman down the street who worked at a cool business that you used to like, you know, hang out with because you were a bored little kid who liked adults more than kids. I might or might not be talking about myself. Um, Like we can find our mentors and people that we're going to learn from anywhere. And that's really important for people, I think, to know it could be your peer, 
right? Like there's, there's no need for the person to be 25 years older than you. And in X, Y, Z position, you know, we can, we can be taking a lot of those lessons from people around us every day. Very true. And I wasn't really aware of, you know, the idea of mentors until, you know, you look back on it, you mature and, and you start to you know, understand more. And I look back and I thought, okay, they were a mentor. I didn't realize that that's what, that, that's what they were doing for me. And, um, you know, like you said, it's, it's not always, you know, that somebody that, that you, that you work for, uh, for me, it's colleagues. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's probably been more about that. Um, you know, like I said, you know, when I look back and, you know, some of the, um, the characteristics, characteristics my mom has, I, I've definitely, uh, I think I've gotten uh, a few from her. Yeah. I, um, you know, whenever I think about coaches in team, what, what I would all call more team sports, right? So even though I was on a cross country team, like what was your strategy? Run as fast as you can for as long as you can individually. Right. And like, yes, there's some teamwork. I mean, we've seen it with the, um, with our elite women's runners over the last couple of years, the teamwork that they, um, use in the marathon to keep each other going and to play off of each other. But you're not like sketching out plays and stuff like that. So anything that has like XO related, (laughs) <laughs> my mind is completely blown because I don't know what the hell any of it means. Really? Like, how do you like, yeah, I don't even like the, the strategy there. It, this all sounds really stupid. I, I recognize this, but like, how the hell are you supposed to predict what other people are gonna do? Like, it's just, it makes my yeah. head hurt. And I appreciate that people, it's just my, my ability to think that way is, is obviously quite minimal. Um, Although, you know, I guess I do it in my own way when I'm like, well, here's what they're going to say back to us as we're negotiating a contract. But I mean, it's like people's bodies and moving and I don't know why, but that just, yeah. That's, that's the thrill of, of coaching. You know, that's exact. that's the heart of it right there that, you know, you anticipate, you know, it's preparation, just like, you know, your work, you know, you're preparing uh, for what you, you know, you, the end result, what you have to go through between now and then, you know, to, to get there. Um, you know, it's communication. It's it's uh, this, you know, this idea of, you know, we get to watch video and and you can see a team and way, the way that they move and go, OK, now when we play them, we're not going to let them do that. We know that when they call this play, this is what's about to come. Right. And, you know, and that's, you know, be, being difficult to scout or, or you know, Maya Moore, that, that's kind of, you know, the beauty of her play is that she's so unpredictable. You don't know always what she's, she's going to do. Uh, and those are the great players, um, you know, but, you know, I would say that's the, that's the heart of coaching. You know, that's the, that's the fun of it, you know, coming up with maybe, you know, strategy in a game, you know, uh, a play out of a timeout, you know, those are the most rewarding times. And, and, you know, it's difficult to watch a basketball game without doing that. Um, You know, they come out of a timeout, what are they going to run? You know, oh, wow. Rewind that. You know, I I drive my wife crazy. No, give give the remote, (laughs) rewind that, rewind. Let me see that again. You're like, (laughs) (laughs) can't we just watch the game? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I want to add that to our playbook. So, but I say it's like a musician, you know, musicians to me, that's a, that's a, when, when they are able to, you know, when I think about an acoustic guitar and someone's strumming away, 
um, like, I'm like, is that planned? Like, and you can do the same thing next time you do that. How do you remember, you know, how you, right. how do you do that? And, and then sing at the same time. Holy cow. You know, that's just right. well beyond my element. <laughs> yeah. That's funny because I'm trying to think like I played a, a string instrument, uh, the stand-up bass, everybody. I was a tiny oh, wow. human being, and I played the freaking stand-up bass. Wow. And I was obsessed with gathering music, but I never I never thought to create my own. Okay. It's so bizarre. So, like, yeah, how people come up with music is weird to yes. me, too. Like, yeah. how do you do that? I don't know. How do I? That's foreign to me. I'm I'm that person who's like I don't know how to decorate my apartment, so everything's going to be gray, <laughs> and it will be fine. Like yep. all of the the putting of all that stuff together for whatever reason with words, it's fine for me. But uh-huh. for things that are so abstract, I I think I overthink it because it needs to be perfect. Don't you know? <laughs> uh, you mentioned my amour. And um, phenomenal player who has decided to step away from the game for a while. Um, and it's awesome for her because she's, you know, obviously got this passion that she's pursuing. And then sad kind of for the sport, right? Because she's such a phenomenal athlete. Um how do you, as a coach, and not Maya specifically, because I would never ask you to divulge, you know, privileged coach player information, but how do you, you know, talk through the the futures with with these athletes and when they have maybe multiple paths that they could take? Yeah, and, and like I said, that, that goes to... Um, what what I think is probably one of the most important things we do as coaches is is knowing your players and, and having communication outside of basketball. Uh, I, like I said, I want to know what makes them tick. You know, I want to know about their families uh, because knowing families can tell you so much about you know the player. When when you meet sometimes family members, I go, ah, okay, that's that's what that mannerism <laughs> means. Or <laughs> uh, and it's fun. It's kind of fun putting that that you know that puzzle together for each of the players. Um, you know, I think when you're aware of other interests and, and other passions, um, you know, and the group that we've had, you know, has, has really been a, a tight knit group. When it, when you think of family, it really has been a family. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, um, these types of things that, you know, that Maya has expressed was not a surprise to us. You know, these were things that were kind of brewing, you know, through the years. And, you know, we, we, we kind of, you know, the, the, the run of success that this team has had uh, six finals in seven years, four championships. Um, that's not easy to do. And there's a lot of sacrifices that are made uh, for a, a franchise to be that successful for so long, um, you know, and just, you know, in succession, you know, it's not like good for a couple of years and then come back, you know, five years later, good for a couple of years, seven years straight. Yeah. And so that came at a cost, if you will, mm-hmm. in that, there's a lot of things that we had to put aside to be able to give all of ourselves to each other in our quest, you know, for a championship each season. And one of those costs in, in the case of Maya is, you know, something that, she, that is near and dear to her, you know, her ministry work suffered. And then all of a sudden you look up and you go, I'm 29, going to be 30. And you start to see life differently. And, and you kind of go, okay, I'm missing out on some things and I got to get my life back in order. And I got to, 
kind of hit the reset button. And I think, you know, whether it's Maya, you know, uh, I know that Sylvia Fowles, you know, is going to be a mortician. Uh, a what? You know, every season I'm dealing with, um, you know, she's taking finals and, you know, her classes. And, you know, it's unbelievable what Did some of these athletes do. Did you say a mortician? She is. Yeah, she wants Wait. to be a mortician. Wait. I tried to understand that, too. Wait. <laughs> so she's, uh, oh, boy. She's balancing, I want... You know, I want to win basketball championships in professional women's basketball with I, I want to help people in death. <laughs> I, and, and I'm really bad about death. So I've tried oh, to same. have short conversations with her. I just don't get that it. That is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and um, but it's, you know, it's something she's known for a while and, and she's taking classes and she's, Good you know, I think her. she's. You know, it's it's amazing. This is again. This is while they're playing. This is why while uh, Sills in China, uh, she's not there this off season. But you know, for the last however many off seasons, she's in China, uh, but still, you know, kind of you know doing doing things outside of basketball. Um, you know, for Simone, knowing the the things that that she likes, all of those. You know, each of the players has something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rebecca Brunson. You know, has. Uh, you know, uh, her, her, uh, sweet gypsy waffle truck. She wants to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, so there's so many things yeah. and, you know, frankly, it, you know, it, it, this sounds crazy, but basketball sometimes is a small part of who they are. And, you know, so it's those moments of, I think, communication, yeah. you know, um, a player communicating what's on their heart, I think is important. Um, I receive the information. I try to understand it and I try to guide based on, you know, me having a few more years experience in life than, than them. Um, and we try to, we've always said this, we try to work through all of our situations together. Okay, you're feeling burnt out or you're feeling, let's talk about this. Okay, what can we do to, to modify? You know, how can we help you? Because we always want them to enjoy what the heck they're doing. Right. You know, if at any point in time, and I would say last season was probably the first season that we've had together where it wasn't as much of a joy as it was, you know, in, in years past. Uh, and that's just human nature. Right. You know, it's human nature. You've been there, done that. You know, how do you get up again? You know, what are we going to do? Win again? Oh, God. <laughs> life greedy. is so hard, Cher- Cheryl. <laughs> so hard. It must suck to win all the time. Well, I'm greedy. And I, you know, I, that's why I said to them, I, every year I came just as hungry as the year before because <laughs> uh, it just never gets old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but again, as a, as a player and, you know, as someone like Pia Moore who's done everything. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you, you know, you wonder, you know, she is human. Right. You know, where, where does she get her motivation from? Arizona's Cactus League is the best way to get an up close and personal view of some of your favorite teams and players. Spring training is such an incredible experience. It's so family friendly. You and the kiddos can meet the players and get autographs before games. And Arizona has a ton of family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages, including water parks, horseback rides, games, and activities. When you're not at a game or doing cool things at the restaurant, you can explore museums featuring everything from Native heritage to modern art to musical instruments from throughout the world. And I know I've said this a couple of times, but truly spring training is the absolute best. Don't forget when you're in Arizona that you can check off some of those bucket list sites like Grand Canyon or Monument Bend and Horseshoe Valley. Your kids are never going to forget it. 
you are never going to forget it. So you still have some time. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. Do you think that for since for the longest time, it wasn't really something that could be someone's career um, mm-hmm. that it's caused these women to be maybe more well-rounded and to have these, you know, diverse interests? Absolutely. You know, we, we've always said that. So when I was in, you know, college coaching, you know, and recruiting, uh, being at a school that was had a strong athletics program as well as academics was the perfect world for uh, top recruits because the academic side of it is really important to them mm-hmm. because at that time uh, in the 90s, you know, it wasn't until 97 that the WNBA came along. But I mean, for all those years, there was nothing beyond college unless you wanted to go overseas. Um, and so, yeah, you know, your mindset of, okay, I might play for a little bit, but I have to um, you know, be ready to be something else. And, and my degree at some point is going gonna, is gonna to be a factor here. Now, I would say that for the WNBA players today, um, it's, it's more as, you know, Lindsay Whale just finished a, a 14-year career. Rebecca Brunson's, you know, 14 years, you know, Simone's 12 years, uh, you know, Sill is, you know, uh, about the same. And, you know, so they're 32, 33, 34, 36, 37. They've been out of the workforce. You know, their degree right. was when they were 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in their cases, they're, they're making solid money, but they're not going to make enough money to support themselves the rest of their lives the way that Maybe an NBA player can retire and not have to do Bryce Harper. Jesus, right? <laughs> He's set for a while, right? You think? <laughs> uh, you know, but so for the women, you know, you you get to the end of your career, you have to start thinking, okay, what am I going to do now? Right. Um, you know, Taj McWilliams Franklin, that you know uh, was was a Lynx champion. Um, you know, she was in Detroit with us. We won championships. She was she was trying to you know be um, you know take um, she wanted to be a lawyer. You know, so she's taking out the LSATs and she's doing this and that. And and then that's a difficult thing. Because I would have talked her out of that. Let me just you would have talked her out of that? Yeah. Like, do something else. Right. Don't be a lawyer. That's just a bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it, it's awesome that, you know, that that, that is something that's so... Um, I just feel like it's talked about more with women's sports is the after Right. It is. And it is. Um, and again, men's, I think, because they can make the ridiculous money, at, you know, um, maybe you just you just don't think past um, those, you know, leagues are trying to do more with that. Um, I know the NBA Players Association in particular and um, NFLPA a bit, like they're trying, especially because NFL, their careers are so short, right? Right, um, right. But I, I feel as though that transition is so hard for, for men. It is, it is. And, and I think maybe it's, you know, a subtle difference, I think, with the men and the women is, I think there's, there's greater resources, as we know, on the men's side. And so oftentimes these players are able to transition into front office or, you know, uh, CR roles, you know, make appearances on behalf of the of, of a franchise, um, or even, you know, I would think, in, you know, business opportunities, you know, in the corporate world. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, because of who they have been, uh, you know, those opportunities present themselves, I think, much more easily than uh, for, you know, in this case, WNBA. I know that we have other women's professional leagues, um, 
you know, it, it's definitely just just like it is in life. You know that the inequities. Uh, I think it's even more so um, in this situation because of the lack of resources that right. exist. You know, we would love to hire you know former players uh, in different roles within an organization like the men do, but we simply don't have those roles. Um, you know, because of the you know the bottom line. Well, you know, and that we've. It, it, sorry, I'm because if I don't say this, it's going to explode from my head. <laughs> and the the stupid rules. So there's that dumb rule about um, your you know the women athletes in the WNBA if they go in I don't know assistant coach with an NBA <laughs> team and Christy Tolliver. Yes, that no. makes me crazy. Can you? And I understand that. I'm going to give you a different perspective. Yeah. Um, I on on its face, yes, I completely understand what you're saying. Here's the challenge. Um, in our league, there's 12 teams. At this point, we only have five of the 12 that are NBA affiliated. Uh, Washington is one of those teams, and so now imagine you're one of the seven that is not NBA affiliated. And you have your players uh, that you are trying to retain and, and, and keep happy, that sort of thing. You can't offer them the same opportunities that uh, the NBA affiliated teams can. So it's not a level playing field. Um, you know, that's, that's a great name for a podcast as well. It's weird. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in the case of, of, of Christy Tolliver, this could be seen by other teams as uh, a way of circumventing the salary cap. And yeah. it's unfortunate because I love the opportunities that women are getting in the NBA. Right. Um, but as long as she's a player, there's going to be this road roadblock. And I do think it's fair. Um, not, not on the idea that, you know, Christy doesn't deserve more. It's just that for maybe me, uh, well, I'm, I'm NBA affiliated. Uh, let's say I'm Chicago, not NBA affiliated. I can't provide the same opportunity to sure. Courtney Vandersloot that Christy Tolliver is getting. Right. And maybe Courtney Vandersloot wants to go to Washington now because I can't provide him that opportunity. So I think there's a sense of trying to, you know, kind of, like I said, level the playing field. But don't you think you take the money out of it? Don't you it, it, don't you think that still then presents a an un yes. level playing field? Yes, okay. it does. It's an opportunity, and that's you know that's one of those things where you kind of go, you know, I, I I wish you know it leads to another topic. I really wish that Adam Silver would do more um, to require NBA teams to own WNBA teams, so that the leagues, you know, so we have a balance. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're required to have to operate G League teams. You know, um, and it just. You know, that gets into a whole nother you know, oh, kind of worms. That, that I, yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. You know, whether there's money there or not, there's, oh. there, there's that problem for sure. Well, and the W is hard, right? Like you and I have talked a little bit about this. I think you and I could spend an entire weekend and still not get through it all, especially if our, our dear friend Terry was with us about right? just like, what do we do to help the W? To, to move things maybe along a little quicker and to, to you know, really make a mark. And I know that the answer is money, right? Like you've got uh-huh. to infuse the league with more money and use that money not only, you know, for player salaries because it's crap that they have to play overseas, um, but for marketing because right. – 
at the end of the day, and, and we're very lucky right now, we're in a time period where the marketing can come pretty easily with social media, right? Right. Um, yep. But it's such a Rubik's Cube that for whatever reason keeps me up at night. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I have anything to do with it. <laughs> um, well, it's pretty, to me, it's pretty simple when you talked about the, you know, the money. Yes, it is about money. It's about investment. Um, there's, you know, the, the mindset is not the same for women's sports as it is for men's sports. If you go back to the beginning of, of Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, uh, NBA in particular, if we talk about, you know, more apples to apples, that in the 50s and the 60s, uh, the lack of interest that there was in the NBA, a uh, bunch of white guys playing basketball that nobody really cared about, and had to have the Harlem Globetrotters play so that fans would come out and watch the oh, Harlem yeah. Globetrotters and stay for an NBA game. Yeah, And so they all came from this place. NFL had to play um, uh, uh, next to a high school team to get the, the interest back in the beginning. So they all came from this place of a lack of interest. But the difference is that the money came hand over fist without regard for losses. It was viewed as an investment or just a passion by mm-hmm. an owner that wanted to, to own a team. And that, that's, uh, I would say, largely non-existent on the women's side that were viewed differently, were, were kind of uh, held to a different standard than what the NBA was held to in its early years. And for us, you know, every time uh, Adam Silver and Mark Tatum get a chance, they say that the league has tw- lost $20 million oh, I, uh, over the last, you know, however many years. So um, it's so it is, I mean, it's incredibly, you know, did they say those things about uh, the NBA back in the 50s and the 60s. And frankly, it was the early 80s. The NBA was in big trouble financially. Who talks uh, shit about their own company? Like, well, that's, that's, the, that's essentially what it is. That's exactly right. How are you supposed to be successful uh, when, when the, the, you know, the parent company is talking in such a way? Right. Um, so, it's, so for me, it's, it's simple, um, but it's difficult because it's society. It's societal norms. Right. Uh, it's how you know, women are viewed in society and how we are you know, in most cases, treated less than. Right. Well, and we, um, we do know why he says those things, because there's a collective bargaining agreement up, up for talks. And the more they talk about the losses, the more that they can use that as for sure. a bargaining chip. For sure. Which, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I, you know, that's a, you know, it seems to me pretty short-sighted. It, it seems there would be a longer-term cost uh, you know, to, right. you know, sort of making that the narrative. Um, so to me, it's investment. It's, I think it's, you know, it's a drop in the bucket for these um, you know, franchises that are, that are, you know, valued at more than a billion dollars. And so the NBA, you know, with 30 teams and they're all valued at more than a billion, they can do anything they want to do, whatever they get behind. Mm-hmm. It's successful. Look at the NBA summer league. It was about to, you know, nobody really cared about all of a sudden now, um, you know, it's on NBA TV, it's on ESPN, it's this big spectacle, right? The, the NBA Summer League, uh, the, the G League. They're going to invest in the G League. Oh, my and they're God. Gonna play, play, they're going to invest in a um, NBA League in Africa. The G and League. So, the G League yeah, so, is crazy to me. The paying of the players <laughs> more than what the women make. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's like I said, it's difficult. Um, we just need a change in a mindset. And, and I think Adam Silver has a great opportunity. He's got a great reputation of being a progressive commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, the envy of maybe the NBA, uh, of the NFL, that, you know, he has this 
tremendous opportunity to really move the needle. Because I think if Adam Silver does it, then corporations will get behind it. Adam Silver says, hey, do this with me. You know, we're going to be on the right side of history and watch what this thing turns into and gather up all those partnerships that he has. Yeah. And ask them for small investments and invest in us the same way you're investing in those other things. So to me, it's simple. Um, It's simple, but difficult because I think just, you know, getting, you know, Adam Silver to understand that, um, you know, getting closer to our league and not further from our league is what our league needs. Um, you know, we're, if you, if you look at the NBA, you have, you know, the, the entities underneath of it, NBA 2K, I forgot about that one. Oh my God. You got the G League, you got the African, these are all fall under right. the NBA. The WNBA, it feels to me is off to the side. We're not even under the NBA. We're like this side entity that, you know, Hey, don't bother us too much. You know, you guys lose too much money. Nobody's watching. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it can be maddening at, at times and, and as you can tell i'm pretty passionate about it (laughs) i'm so i'm so glad though that you're far more eloquent about it than i am because all i want to do is just scream endlessly into the void um and maybe it's because i don't have enough of an opportunity to to like hash it out with people as smart and brilliant as you on a more frequent basis and so it's like you know i should just go to therapy for my anger about (laughs) women's sports probably um, aside from all the other reasons. And so I just, yeah, I'm glad that you could speak words that make sense instead of just babbling like I end well, up doing. Well, this is my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I do think that there are some really great things that, you know, are coming um, and have started to happen. I mean, listen, the W is great in that it's there and that it's giving the opportunities that it is giving. It can be better. And I think that's, you know, I don't think it's ever wrong for us as women um, and, you know, empathetic humans in society to want things to be better um, and not to always feel like you have to settle for whatever is just thrown at you. Um, which for a very long time is is what we've done, right? right. Um, any little scrap that we could get in sports, we would just take and accept. And now we're definitely entering a period where we're like, okay, great. Like, yeah, now we expect things to be just as much or as good or, That's right. um, you know, we have that value. Um, I'm hoping that the new ownership change with the Liberty helps. Um, yes. I think it will. Um, from what I understand of the new owner and well, we know the money that's behind that yes. is crazy. Yes. Well, the money and the passion, yeah. you know, cause I think, you know, um, that's what exists. I think on the, on the men's side in professional sports, the owners are passionate about the team that they own. And I, and I, I think if Joe Sy can do that in New York, it'll be great for the league. It'll lift up, you know, lift up the rest of the owners to say, I got to keep up with a Joe Sy or got to keep up right. with MGM in Vegas, you know, or hopefully keep up with the Minnesota Lynx the way that we've done things. And it just betters the league. So, yes, you know, I think it's a tremendous thing that the Liberty have uh, a, a new owner that seems to be exactly what the league needs. Yeah. And I think um, some of the, the plans that I've heard will get it, get them those athletes back in a normal size arena. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, and, you know, so... That's something good to look forward to. Obviously, um, 
you know, the league and the players association are going through collective bargaining talks. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. Um, and I mean, that's a whole nother like five hour long podcast. Um, <laughs> Because the intricacies of these deals are are immense, uh, and it's uh, it can be overwhelming um, when you look at them. But um, I wonder, like you know, you in a very casual, like kind of like you know, brushing off the dirt from your shoulder way, mentioned how I don't know successful you've been um, at the links. So then, like what is your next, like, what does the next step in your career look like to you? Or what is your, like, I don't know, do you have like a next goal that isn't just, what not just in quotes, winning another championship? <laughs> um, you know, I would say how I'm wired that, you know, I can't see beyond coaching. Um, and that's kind of how it's been for me you know, through my life that I've not really been, a, okay, in 10 years, this is what I want to do. I've been more of an in the moment, uh, kind of a uh, professional that, um, you know, do I look up at and out sometimes where I go, okay, I'm not going to do this until I'm 70, probably. So what is next? Um, and I, the only thing I can tell you is that it's going to be involved in sports. It's going to be involved, I hope, in the WNBA in some way, um, I, I'm, I currently have a, a dual role of, of being a general manager, and there's times when I think, uh, how do people do it where they're only a general manager? Because I want <laughs> I want to have a say in the players as a GM, but I also want to coach them. Um, so it would be real. It would be kind of a, a to me this uh, void of just being a general manager and just watching a practice or just watching it again. Yeah. Uh, but maybe it comes a certain time that you know maybe that's what's that's what it's called for, but. Um, you know, I, I would love, I don't know that the, you know, I won't, I don't get paid enough to, to become an owner, but in some small way, if I could, uh, be a part of a franchise in that way, in an ownership capacity, I would absolutely love that. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that's probably years, years down the road and I would need someone to be very, uh, lenient in the, <laughs> in the, in the financial, uh, commitment that it would take. I would love to own a team with Glenn Taylor, you know, yeah. um, but, um, I but, think, but I, I, I mean, I think the W is looking for a new president. They, they are. <laughs> and it's, it's taken, you know, I think we're, we're beyond five months uh, in our search. So uh, it must be a, a difficult position to fill. Um, that's a little bit of tongue in cheek there. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that, that's an interesting position um, that, you know, I think we all have different views of, of what the perfect president would be. Sure. Um, I think the league is really interested in a business person, and I think that's important. But I, I think that the business person has to be able to tell our story. Yeah. Uh, you got to be able to, you know, walk into corporations and, you know, make presentations um, that, you know, make it compelling of why, why do I need to be connected to the WNBA? And I'm just not sure that we've had that yet, um, nor do I think that those people that have been in those positions have had the support of the NBA. Uh, I think there's more obstacles than anything in that role. So uh, if you're suggesting at all that, that I should be interested in that, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it does seem like it would be a, a, a tough, yeah, like it's because you don't have full control. You don't. Um, you don't. And I think that that's always difficult when 
you are tasked with that outward facing level of authority, but in reality, um, there's someone else who makes the final decision. It, it, yeah, that, that would be tough. That is hard. Um, you, I mean, you travel so much, um, and I know that you love having time with your family, but what do you do just for you for like self-care? You know, it's funny. Those two words are coming up recently <laughs> more than I uh, have ever thought about before. Uh, self-care, you know, that's, that's been foreign to me. Um, you know, I, I would say that if I'm not you know, participating in something basketball related, um, then like you said, it is, it is definitely family time. It's, you know, we have a four-year-old, so, you know, all those things that you would do, you know, we're going to be going to Disney, you know, coming up, the Women's Final Four is in Tampa, so we're going to, you know, kind of uh, tag on uh, yeah. to the end of that, or the beginning of that trip, a little bit of a family family time. But uh, I am a, when I'm in the mood, uh, and I go in and out of these moods, um, I, I like the kind of uh, do-it-yourself, you know, projects. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I like to do those things. I like to spend time with uh, my family back yeah. in back in New Jersey, and um, but I'm I'm just I'm not great at it. I'm just not great at the self care thing because it stresses me out not to be thinking about basketball or right. Right. <laughs> it causes me you know um, you know bigger problems I think. But um, I think there'll come a time when I'll have to get better about that. But right now, that's not the time. <laughs> sure. Well, so and it's <laughs> I'll fun- grow into that. <laughs> and you know, the spending time with your family, as I mentioned and you mentioned. Tell everyone where you currently are right now. Well, <laughs> I'm at the uh, Great Wolf uh, Water Park, Great Wolf Lodge in here in Minneapolis. <laughs> We're trying to escape the winter, so we ducked inside to, to spend the day with our son to, um, you know, just experience water and heat. And, and you so, are hanging out in the car talking to me. I am hanging out in the car, hanging out. Yeah, because well, there's no way we could get this done with me inside that water park. Oh God, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Be entertaining for sure. Um, if uh, I know that you, you know, first of all, I think everyone should follow the athletes in the W on social media because they're freaking phenomenal. They are. Uh, I agree. It is so good watching them just like. Well, to use a pun, because I'll be a dork right now, dunk on um, <laughs> mediocre dudes. I know. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious to me. Um, I agree. But um, how can people kind of like keep up with you and, and what's going on? Well, um, I am on Twitter. That's the only um, social media that I'm, that I'm on um, at Lynx Coach Reeve. And you know, I would say that I'm, I'm not uh, a constant poster, but when I do, it's uh, either I'm, I'm liking things that other people post, but I'm, um, you know, I, I see value in, again, just, you know, promoting, advocating uh, for our team, uh, for women, for people of color. And so that's sort of my, uh, my shtick, if you will. Uh, and then also taking on, um, you know, like you said, some of those, some of those folks that don't quite understand the value of, of women or women in sport. And, uh, so sometimes we'll go toe to toe and and try to educate. That's what I always say. I try to sometimes use humor, uh, and then, you know, try to, you know, knock down some of the, the false narratives, uh, that, that surround women and women in sport. So, um, yeah. So, you know, if, if, uh, you know, I think I'm a decent follow. I, I, I wouldn't put it at the top of the list, but You're good. it's certainly a decent one. 
I like it. Um, I want to thank you again for, well, our scheduling craziness, but also just, you know, um, your support and your passion for women in sports and for being my last interview on this. Well, I, I definitely appreciate uh, the chance to come on and, and be your last guest. And like I said, hopefully it's just, it's just as a hiatus because I think we need your voice and, you know, just empowering women. So um, best of luck to you in the new venture. Thank you so much to Cheryl for coming on. It's from taking a little bit of a break from her weekend away with her family um, and sitting in her car and talking to me. We um, we had some scheduling difficulties. You know, lives are crazy. My life is changing dramatically. So um, everything's a little hectic over here. And well, she's a WNBA coach. So she's got a lot of stuff and general manager. So she's got a lot of stuff going on. So I really appreciate um, her coming on and taking the time to talk about some of the things that we discussed. Um, thank you to Jerry and Jason um, for, you know, being patient with me. It's been a hard couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to miss my frequent interactions with them, although I'll probably still harass them via text message. Um, and thank you all, um, you know, pass along the podcast to people who, haven't heard it these interviews are not time sensitive they're they're great for anyone who is um looking to get into the industry or is new in the industry um like i said i'm hoping to find a way for the podcast to live on without me um there are a couple of possibilities right now and it might take some time but i'm hoping that we're able to find a solution so that this valuable information is still getting out there and that we are still highlighting the amazing women in the industry. And I appreciate all of you for your understanding. I've gotten so many really sweet notes um, since our first announcement the other week on social media. And like I said, it's not an easy decision, but it's the right one for me right now. So thank you for letting me into your lives every week. And, um, you know changing my life over the last couple of years um be good to each other and be kind to yourselves and i'm not going away i'm still gonna be in sports <laughs> and i'm you know always available um so i hope i see you all at a, a wise event or something soon bye Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.